opposing the, the government and opposing the Conservatives, I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to well, tighten you wonder why they I want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. They don't know anybody to be surprised about that is the nature of the left. And of course we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any dissent. Do we know who the hard left is? Well, there's a reason for the things that I have on. You just said that we were right to right wing. The hard left agenda. Printing money, nationalisation without compensation. Hard left politicians. Hard left. Hard left. Hard left. Within the EU, she tries to swing, swing something, but I think like people like us, like ecologically minded left-wing people, would be behind. And it's, it's not just the Green New Deal. It's like let's displace this stupid UN relation between having nuclear weapons and being mm. on the Security Council as mm. well. And I think what's really interesting to me is that doesn't collapse because capital and imperialism's against it. Mm. It collapses because of the Me Too thing. So it's like yeah. a contingent thing. Does that make sense? Like it feels like had the German chances she was negotiating with not being a fucking disgusting sex pest, this would have got through. Yeah, that's interesting. That's not very. But Josie and I slightly disagree about this. We talked about this, but the logic of the situation as presented in the program is it could have got through without like a confrontation with imperialism and capital. But mm. Josie has a different view of this. I think. What is actually shown in the programme is that when it finally comes out as part of Emily's kind of downfall, it's a huge scandal in France because the problem is, like, not any of the green stuff. The problem is none of that. The problem is sharing the UNC, which is what France had to offer Germany to make it worthwhile. That was the one bargaining chip. And... I think the issue is not some sort of global, like, capitalist world ecology. It's not even, like, it doesn't even get that far. What it hits up against is basic French republicanism, which is always nationalism. And I think Mm. this is one of the recurring things in the programme. Philippe is probably the least republican. Yeah. And the least nationalist of the characters. He's not above appealing to that stuff when he's in full baron mode he's not above appealing to that stuff when he tries to help cereal out and stuff like that with cereal's weird fucking like it's not really racist but it's quite racist project i guess the philippe's the only person like philippe actually possibly half learns from his daughter and the people around him of like an anti-republican politics an anti-racist decolonial anti-republican politics there yeah which is like the other reason why He's a fine figure. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, just returning to Amelie, she does actually seem to kind of move to the left. She does this basically... So you remember Obama's last year when he was doing all this quote-unquote legacy stuff. Like, there's this crappy documentary on Netflix about his awful foreign policy team and how they were going going around the world being like, we have made you peaceful with just, like, drone bombs kicking off in the background and there there was just all this shit like he talked to david simon the creator for wire about the war on drugs on youtube (laughs) or something and go on wtf with mark maron to talk about his achievements basically she's like i'm gonna do that i'm gonna go i like i'm gonna have a legacy ensuring final year in office but do a bit more actual stuff which Obama yeah. never did. So she she tries to get all this shit done, and she seems to be embracing a slightly more radical agenda. She announces that, and she changes her mind, and she's like, actually, I am going to run for another term in office. And she decides to move to the left in her policy agenda, at least if not rhetorically, because as Reichwart says, socialist rhetoric is not her strong suit. She's basically going to have this government with Reichwart as Prime Minister that will implement a radical reformist agenda. However, nobody wants the radical reformist agenda. They want the cynical little YouTuber guy. Christophe Mercier, yeah. I feel like the programme bottles it at two points. Like One is, I don't think getting the eco-left liberal thing through... I feel like that should have not happened through a confrontation with capital and the state rather than through 
your ally in it is a fucking sex pest. Do you know what I mean? It's like a bourgeois, it's a bourgeois mm. tragedy. But it's not, it's literally saying these things can't happen. Yeah, yeah. But I think France as presently configured because look. But I think you should say they can't happen as presently configured because of structural circumstance rather than because your allies contingent. Yeah, but sex the passed. EU and like French Republican nationalism is also a structural circumstance. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But the fact you might have blasted through it with the German guy if he wasn't a sex pest makes it a bourgeois tragedy like contingent failure. I guess I feel like she wouldn't have blasted through it and that's what is revealed. Yeah. Do you see no, what I, I think mean? this is like, yeah, no, I agree. Mm. I think this is the interesting thing that the bad faith that maintains a centrist project is saying it didn't happen for contingent reasons when, yes, it didn't happen for contingent reasons, but had that not happened it would have been structurally blocked yeah I think, like, exactly that's yeah like that's yeah, it yeah. and i feel mm-hmm. like the more interesting conclusion of the third series would have been her and rickvard cobbled something together mm. on a legacy like we can't be re-elected again she maintains she scrapes the presidency with rickvard as prime minister i think that felt like narratively a failure that like that yeah, might have been a more interesting a conclusion. More, they go for a much more like grand tragedy kind of yeah. denouement, don't they? Should we just talk about what happens after she gets into her second presidential run with Reichwart back on board and a more left wing agenda? She just kind of like starts bombing in the polls and the populist starts surging and basically Reichwart is like you've lost already. And how do they come? They come to a little Machiavellian pact, which, I mean, I have to say, uh, is more beneficial to Reichwald. I mean, maybe this bit is a kind of centrist fantasy, because she kind of sacrifices herself to save La Republique. Yeah, yeah and then... It's like the centrist yeah, fantasy, yeah. And then she has to ring Philippe up and say, you're not going hard enough on how bad I am. When yeah, you that do your definitely rallies. adds to the tragedy element. Yeah, you it? have to destroy me. But obviously, once she's been destroyed like that, what else can she do? I think at that point, her fate is sealed because a character like Amelie couldn't carry on living. Which is interesting because yeah. I think she has a load more fucking dignity than Cameron or Nick Clegg. Yeah. Because I think, like. <sighs> I mean the other the other way it could have ended her and her weird looking partner just her fuck up yeah the pig faced man just fuck <laughs> off to California do you know what I mean he gets mm. some job as some public intellectual at Berkeley and she gets a senior Facebook job yeah they like, just that's make her like EU a commissioner come of it but again like I think this is why she's like a left centrist fantasy that's not plausible for her because she's better than that. She's yeah. better. She's morally better than Nick fucking Clegg. It's mm. not hard. No, I mean, it's a low bar, I concede. Yeah. The bar is subterranean. So Reichwart has this Machiavellian pact with her where they kind of agree, we've got to find some way to like get you disqualified from running for president, get you basically impeached while running for office. Is, is that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And so the grand, there's like this, I don't even know what the constitutional, what the name for it is, but there's some kind of constitutional function in France, which is that like this meeting. Of... Oh yeah, the committee where they interpret the constitution. Yeah. that's It's, it. it's like it's, the it's... most French thing ever. It's like, let's just have a fucking like 24 hour hermeneutics session on this like political document. It's just lawyers like, and shit ex-politicians. They've Just got the, like, the party grandee who gets in the car crash early in the series. And I guess he has to like retire from his senior socialist party job because he's so oh, messed yeah. up by this car crash. Because he gets but, run over while he's on the phone to the Baron. But he like he looks loads like... Is, I think he looks loads like Albert Finney. There's definitely some <laughs> e- English-speaking actor who he, around the same age, looks loads like. But he eventually settles into this cosy old grandee role. He's on this board and he manages to kind of like push the Reichwart Amelie agenda in the meeting. And they get her impeached for doing war crimes, basically. Yeah. Mm. Which she did definitely do. No, no, she completely did. We saw it. Yeah. And like Tom said, they hadn't even done anything. It was like Minority Report or something. They were doing some pre-crime, you know? (laughs) Yeah, they were just like sleeping in their fucking shit house on like a mattress on the floor with like an ISIS flag on the wall. She just took these guys who own a flag out like they were Bin Laden. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just but, I mean, sent in for special forces that is very much like you know she was in that like situation room fucking with that like 
silver fox guy who ends oh. up becoming like her close advisor who, and who, he's who telling her he, like he, like quote unquote betrays her but actually at her behest yeah 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 and he's very much like yeah you have to do this and it's just so disconnected from the reality of what it is which is just like some incredibly disenfranchised wee lads who are asleep and they yeah. bust into her house and, and i think them. that's why like the riots are important in response mm. to that aren't they there's a complete disjuncture and i think one of the interesting things about it obviously like britain has this with like fucking westminster and obviously stuff like bevan says about the architecture of westminster inculcating ancestor worship but if you're a socialist politician or like from a working class background these aren't your ancestors mm. but it's like a hundred times that with the whole fucking elise and like the french model of it it's even more like you're inhabiting these elite spaces that would have nothing to do with your ancestors if you were Rikva. I, I mean that really was a weird decisively. thing like the brief period when he was a minister he's awkward in those yeah spaces, and seeing him in that he? like that gold-plated room yeah <laughs> And he's, like... he's basically a minister just so he can resign at an opportune moment though isn't he ah yes i just keep thinking about how like there was one episode so obviously i told you about this on twitter but like at the end of every episode when like philippe constructs some kind of ruse to get himself out of whatever jam <laughs> yeah. he's in and i'm just like the baron's back baby it is like political houdini He'll but then there's one episode where it ended and i was like is the Baron back? <laughs> and I can't remember which one it was. It was a really sad one, though. Yeah. Was it when he, he was in jail? Yeah, God, that, no, that's pretty... I think that's awesome, though, that the show, like, raises the stakes to such mm. an extent that the professional politician, who is its main character, gets sent to prison and barred from running for office at the end of the first series. <laughs> like, and then, like, when the second series starts, stuff. he's, like, in prison trying to hegemonise his yeah. fucking co-inmates. It's like, awesome. Being like, oh, who are you going to vote for? You're going to vote, aren't you? Should we finish talking about Amelie's trajectory? Yeah. Um, I just want to briefly say she's played by Anna Muglalis. I'm probably mispronouncing her name, but she's really good in it. Yeah, yeah, she's incredible. What's really interesting to me is... I mean, obviously, everything we've already talked about, but also, like, I'm quite intrigued by, like, her final scene where she opens her cigarette case. And I think it's a really amazing bit of character building that she has her cigarettes in a cigarette case. Like, mm. that's exactly what someone like that would yeah. do. Um, <laughs> there's one in it, clearly, but she says to her pig-faced man boyfriend that <laughs> it's empty, so she's going to go to the village. And that's it. That's the last thing she says to him. The levels of not caring. Do, it's you, not... do you think... So, like, full disclosure, spoiler alert and, like, trigger warning, she kills herself. Mm. And she goes out and just, like, crashes her car deliberately. She's got this little spot where her security detail can't get in. It's blocked, but her car can get through and she just full-on crashes into a, a truck of some like sort. Like a of, truck that's know. just, like, abandoned. But I guess, on the other hand, it would be pretty... How would you say to him, right? I'm just going out, I may be sometime. But yeah, you're right. Maybe she could have like given him a kiss or something. That would have been a bit... Or just not invited him to her parents' house. Because I, I feel like she clearly had it planned. I don't think Amelie's the kind of character to do something like that without planning it. The other thing is, I was really interested that she left a letter for Philippe. But apparently not for the pig-faced man. You never see again. <laughs> yes, you wouldn't get it, man. Like no. He's just there. Like He's just smoking... There we. Oh yeah, doesn't he? Like, oh yeah, he get does. Like tries to get her to smoke. Yeah. President. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, "How the hell did you get that in here?" I think it's that is pretty cool. She's the first woman president and the first stoner president. That's I mean, come on, we've all seen the state of Hollande. <laughs> also, as if Sarkozy and Bruni weren't smoking a few, while Bruni just wrote her terrible, terrible folk music. <laughs> Fucking hell, yeah. That was... <laughs> Wild times at the Elysee, I'm telling you. The letter she like leaves with Philippe isn't even a suicide note. It's like advice on how to be president. Because she's just totally about like the job of just. She, if she doesn't have public life, then she doesn't have life. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which is also on reflection. Why? Clegg and Cameron are contemptible pieces of shit. Because <laughs> they didn't kill themselves. Not because they didn't kill themselves, but... I think because they that, didn't That, like, fucking civic <laughs> sense is just completely alien to them, too. Like, I'm not saying they should yeah. kill themselves, but... Do you know what I mean? There's a relation to... They'd never do, like, a kind of quote-unquote noble gesture. No, absolutely However not. misguided it may have been. They were never public servants. They were serving themselves. 
I mean, Cameron just went off and bought like a fucking 500,000 quid wanking shed in the yeah. Orkneys or whatever, didn't he? So he could write his memoirs. And I think I bet Tom Watson's got something similar to write his spy. It's just in the back of his garden, though. It's just a really shit shed that he's put up himself. Wait, I, I just want to say, actually, as if Tom Watson writes the books that he puts <laughs> his name to. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, I think, like, I think it's worth... Sorry. It's not explicit in the program but i think one knows it as someone watching it that the range of options a person like emily would have had are actually quite extensive and mm. she refused them for the sake of a certain sort of sense of honor i mean i think that's the important thing like when she's unpacking her books like in the scene before the scene where she says goodbye to the pig face man that's his name now <laughs> um <laughs> But she's talking about how all these feminists were the most important. Yeah. The sense of lineage, the sense of yeah. tradition, and the sense of having something handed down, I think. It's quite hard to explain because I feel like in like a lot of political theory, this doesn't really exist in the same way. But within like feminist theory, it really does. This sense of real kind of intimate relationship with and responsibility to your sort of predecessors. Yeah. And I feel like there's a real sense that she's kind of let them down because she was the first woman president and her presidency ended in disgrace. Yeah. yeah. And of course, the first woman president might actually be a meaningless category. I feel like it kind of is. But for somebody like Emily, whose whole politics of feminism, she doesn't have yeah, a critique definitely. of the presidency. She has a critique of maleness basically yeah yeah she could obviously just like go and become the head of the eu commission but yeah. i yeah. feel like she also feels well where can you go from a presidency anything is just a step down from here even though she seems to have had a pretty fucking miserable time as president to be yeah. honest i don't know i don't get the sense she's like the happiest person the presidency again it seems to be at what cost but that power is the main thing that she's desired she just kind of felt like the only way was down. Yeah, no, completely. And also, you know, ending the presidency basically dishonoured. That's it. It's in total ignominy as well. It's not yeah. like she gets to be like this landmark figure who just kind of steps down quietly. Laurier had more dignity than in his scandal-ridden departure and then death. Well, I mean, that like... may have been what inspired her, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, and everyone co everyone keeps saying throughout it that she killed him as well, which is classic politics, you know? Yeah, I'm pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of how Levon Helm, the drummer from the band, said that Robbie Robertson killed Richard Manuel and, and Rick Danko by leaving the band and making them keep touring in a diminished, less commercially successful lineup without him for that is the, the rest most of complicated her... murder I've ever heard. <laughs> like, yeah, I know right. it's pretty. It's all in Levon Helm's memoir. I wanted to put in a word as well for Cyril because we haven't really talked yeah. about him yeah, at that's all. Yeah, true. Yeah, except for his like weird racist, not racist project. It wasn't actually racist, but got the fact that the logic of the republic means the project can't be registered outside of completely fucked up categories. Yeah, well, they keep they keep having this thing. Like even people in the show are like, "Oh man, you're just turning into a racist." <laughs> There's this bit where Reichwart is persuading him to get involved in one of his nefarious schemes by <laughs> being like, "Look, Cyril, no one even knows if you're on the left or the right anymore." And Cyril's like, "Oh fuck, yeah, that's true. Like, I don't want people." to think I'm on the right because he's like on the left of the party as well isn't he but he just gets progressively like this secularism thing becomes like his hobby horse but yeah I he thought... feels like it's the answer to segregation in schools schools in France being like de facto segregated yeah. because a lot of schools that have like majority black and North African students, white parents aren't sending their kids there. Mm -hmm. So he gets involved with this kind of, you know, like parents' protests. It's like black parents' protests for like desegregation of schools, being like, we want white students to join these schools. Yeah. This is good, but he also thinks that like secularism is the answer to that. And it's obviously yeah. not. Well, French. <laughs> it is incredibly French. It's the most well-meaning but ridiculously wrong-headed thing. Yeah. Then he just like he leaves politics at some point, doesn't he? He's like, I'm just sick of this shit. I but mean, to be fair, he does get completely battered by some anarchos. 
No, oh yeah. Are they fash or anarchists? It's not no, clear, is it? No, mm. no, they're definitely fash. Okay. But basically, like Le Baron persuades him to, in order to somehow benefit again one of his nefarious schemes, he just persuades him to quit politics altogether. And then you, I just don't think you ever see him again. No, like, he's not. He doesn't appear, does he at all? In the first he series. literally does just quit politics. Yeah. I, I thought that Cyril was gonna be. I literally think, to be honest, this is just because he looks like Macron, but I thought that he was going to do what Amelie does and set up his own movement and destroy the Socialist Party. Yeah. But I think it's just the fact... By the same logic, I could have been sat watching Mindhunter, thinking that the Macron-looking guy who, like, invented the term serial killer in that is going to set up his own party, <laughs> you know? I also but... think another interesting character is Serial's... In the first series, obviously, Cyril's like a mate and accomplice, Toph. Oh, yeah, I wanted to talk about him too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like very much. Toph, like, shows up always throughout. Yeah. yeah. Just doing like slightly dodgy stuff, like starting fights at polling booths or ripping down posters. Just kicking fucking tables at polling stations and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just like a heavy for Mm. his political allies, I guess. And it's, I think it's the same thing that, like, a serious politics that doesn't have relations to capital and the media has to just deliver consequences on, like, a local level, which probably yeah. is just ripping down posters, knocking over polling stations, and just that sort of level. Yeah. It's, like, a really interesting character for that mode of politics. And, like, I don't think British political parties have had this for a few decades, but obviously, like, in French politics, you need your people like that to have effects. Tov's really interesting because he's actually a kind of meek, well-meaning guy who, yeah. like, sticks up for his friends. And when, like, Philippe and Vero are in different parts, when Vero joins Vidal's party. Yeah. Like, Tov's got real split loyalties yeah. and he doesn't know what to do. Yeah, he's really apologetic to Reichwart about it. He's like, I'm sorry, I just go where Vero goes, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Vero's just for context, really... she succeeds Reichwart in his Dunkirk seat, doesn't she? Eventually, but Reichwart, she should succeed and then Reichwart fucks it for her and, like, yeah. the Gaulists succeed and then eventually she does. And then they become friends again, it's all fine. Being a left-winger, she realises that the Socialist Party is completely clapped after a while and joins up with not Mel. Yeah, like Bar before Rigvard, actually. Yeah. I mean, Rigvard never yeah, realises it. You can see he's, like, a party man or has been most of his life because it's such, like, a gut-wrenching decision for him to join up with fucking Vidal. Yeah. Can we talk, actually, like... Because I realise we've talked about this on, like, at political level, but also I was thinking a lot about actually just, like, the aesthetic pleasures of watching it. Yeah. Some of this is, like, related to the politics. I think a lot about this because there's stuff in Brecht about it, of, like, seeing a representation of someone doing something really well. Yeah. Rickvard, like, the Baron, he's just really fucking good at politics. And like, it's, like, it's like watching Yacht Rock and they're so good at dark sarcasm. <laughs> it's exactly like Yacht Rock, yeah. Um, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Oh. The kind of Mac Heath thing and then like extending onwards. It's like watching like a human being be like really good at something. It is really, It's yeah. like an aesthetic pleasure. I've said this on Twitter a lot, but I genuinely think Matt Letizia is like, the formative aesthetic experience of my life. You have this actually like rather ungainly in most other situations, physically odd figure, and then it's like this Spinoza and Deleuzean thing, like what things can a body do and you've never imagined it, and then Letizia does it. Well, like denying climate change. Yeah, we will not... <laughs> Letizia's crank turn. And there's something Wait, like who's this Letizia with... again? Genius Southampton footballer of my youth who has now come into this climate change and corona denying crank <laughs> okay i've no i don't know who that is I've, i was like is this a character who i forgot but like this astonishing <laughs> aesthetic figure and i think rickvard has something of this as well like what does it mean as like a human being to like see another human being be so good at something socialist like excellence just this sort of like genuine extension of what people can do and there's like a real like baroning yeah, there's like a real aesthetic pleasure, whether it's like the Baron or Letizia, like this real aesthetic and human pleasure in terms of like what people can do. I think that's where like that Machiavellian aspect of the Baron, as well as the fact Machiavelli is of the left. <laughs> it's the thing Gramsci says that the general like logic of anti-democratic politics is there are people in the know and people not in the know. Machiavelli writes this book, The Prince, 
to tell people not in the know what the people in the know know. <laughs> and it's like an emancipatory movement. But I think there's that side to the band, but there's also like just this side of being just like really fucking good at what he does. There's also the other more literally taken like aesthetic side of it. Like all those moments where you're just like watching it, and you're like, yes, I am watching a political drama. And then there's like a few scenes where you're like, ah, I am watching a French political drama. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like a lingering shot of just like milk swirling into coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, that, so- that sounds very much like my kind of thing. Yeah. But a like, sort of lingering shot. Exactly. Got it's just like, ah, yes, yes. We, we have time for this in the edit. We are, of course, French. Yeah, yeah. Wait, uh, swirling milk. Are you sure this isn't an Ilford political drama? <laughs> <laughs> The dreams of a young man. Yeah, well, Gatecast already exists. We don't... <laughs> I guess if um, Canal Plus want to commission a French-language television remake of Gatecast, then I'm more than happy to... Baron Dulay. <laughs> I'm more... I, I will be executive producer on... That's uh, Baron of Milk for anyone... Baron <laughs> Anyone who doesn't speak French. The White Baron. <laughs> Baron Blanc. And I think White like, Baron sounds like a racist thing, it actually. Does, it Scratch is. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, sliding into the thing I was about to say, the other really interesting, like, Machiavellian aesthetic character is the Fash Leader. Yeah. Which is, like, I think it's worth talking about. It's an incredible performance. Yeah. And like, actually think, really well written as well. Yeah. The way he's, like, actively seeking respectability. Yeah. And yeah. trying to ally with the parties or figures that will give his movement cover. Yeah. And it's acted so well, and I think that's worth insisting on, but the political dynamic of, you know, there's a respectable right in France, there's a disrespectable right. What can he do to break that fucking cordon? It's like the sort of structuring subplot for, like, most of the programme. And, like, his sort of deeply oily, like, obsequious, (laughs) fash performances, it's incredible for that. And I think it's really well worked out in the programme. I was thinking about this in terms of the level of it's always a subplot. Yeah. Because the Baron's political aesthetic, the level like this is a human being really good at something, we can admire this because he's a man of the left. The Fash guy is probably almost as good, but it's never posited as the main plot, so you never have that complication. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, because well, that would like, be a horrible position to be put we, in we as a see, viewer. Obviously, we see the Baron at home a lot. Yeah. We see him both in his incredibly nice seafront Dunkirk flat, yeah, yeah. and then later in his PR girlfriend's ridiculously fancy Paris flat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but we only see Chalon, the fash guy, at home once, don't we? When he's with his blonde-haired, blue-eyed family flying a kite in the garden or something. And that's obviously <laughs> like propaganda shots anyway, Yeah, 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 isn't exactly. Like, yeah. Isn't there public, that scene, though, where he's at home with his wife and he tells her to read Gramsci or something? He's got, like, some left-wing book. He's, he's like, reading Mitterrand's book. That's that's it, that's Mitterrand it, Mitterrand. Yeah. yeah. He's like, you've got to learn from, you've got to know your enemy, and you've got to learn from the people who have succeeded in politics, whatever their politics are. And I mean, you're right, yeah. Obviously, he's not as successful as he'd like to be, and in the end has to hitch himself to this guy who's stolen a large part of his movement. But he is shown as a very interesting character with his own Machiavellian methods. The thing with the salmon, to come back to that again, like, because that was obviously trying to be a way of, like, making Christophe Mercier indebted to him in some way by Mm. bringing him some expensive salmon, but obviously Mercier didn't care about that. That salmon costs so much. Yeah, it was just like, I'm giving you salmon, and then, like, raz you off anyway. Fuck you. (laughs) And he was so angry, like, he ate my salmon. He sat in my office and ate my salmon. I had to mortgage my house for that salmon and he throws it in my face. It was amazing. Just like the most angry white people shit. Like angry rich white people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you ate my expensive salmon that I was only giving to you as some kind of like gesture of like status and superiority. I was just digging up the Pablo Iglesias tweet, which we should about in a moment. Because <laughs> there is a scene where Reichwart and Videl go off to meet Podemos. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. But, and, like, uh, Philippe oh, oh, trying to, like, keep up with Videl cycling, and he just completely <laughs> can't. 
Oh yeah, Vidal is just like he's just like a god of a man Complete to be honest. Demon Cyclops. He is an Adonis. He is like in the in the, the ancient. What? Like he gave birth to a train. Uh, he's he, he's uh, look. He's an Andrew Adonis. Like, like <laughs> Melanchon. Yeah, exactly. He he's Andrew. He fucks trains. <laughs> it's just completely derailed. Derailed my own train of thought with that Andrew Adonis fucks trains comment. No, but Shalon has a good scene where. He's in the meeting with, like, the leading figures of the Front National, and they're all agreeing that they're going to modernise the party and they're going to drop this let's leave the EU policy that they have. So they're like, Frexit, it's over, it's it's never going to happen. And this woman who is, like, one of the leading front national people and it turns out that she's a massive racist as well but basically in shocking move yeah I, who could have thought that someone but like they say later on that she's like said all these incredibly horrible things and it causes a bit of a controversy because of where she goes after this argument with shalon because she's like fuck no i hate the eu this is the ginger woman yeah 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 yeah, yeah. she's yeah. like one of the things that brought me to far-right politics in the first place was my opposition to France's membership of the EU. So this is a deal-breaker for me. And Shalon is just like, well, if people don't agree with me, they are welcome to leave. And she leaves, and then she absolutely fucks Shalon over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She allies with nerdy Fucking Mercier, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's her that he's like, oh, what? She's a racist? I had no idea. (laughs) To come back to something we were talking about earlier, I think that's where the kind of polarisation thing, the way in which a party crisis means that gets out of hand. Because Chalon's project is obviously, and this is where his obsequiousness comes in, and the incredible cream puff scene as well. Chalon's whole project is like, can we break down? Can we also, can we have a left-right polarity? which means, like, breaking down the distinction between, like, the respectable right and the far right. Mm. And that's his whole project. He's, like, 80% got that. And then this fucking shit physics teacher comes up and then completely decoheres the radical right and then the whole polarising dynamic starts again. And, like, I think that's really telling in terms of he's made this bold bid for sucking up to the legitimate right. And it collapses because of this. And it's always through just, like, pathetic acts of tribute, where yeah. it's like, this is why Shalon could never be the Baron. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, he's, he's never back, baby. Like, no, no. He's... he's always just clinging on by his fingernails because he's just offering cream puffs or bringing salmon or just trying to, like, basically bribe people through generosity. That's interesting. being indebted to him. That's interesting whereas, that everything's mediated through yeah. posh food. Yeah, whereas, like, the Baron's <laughs> just trying to manipulate people all yeah, the time yeah. and succeeding because the Baron is always back, baby. And he can always deliver <laughs> consequences. Yeah. And he knows what they actually want and need yeah. as well, rather than just like, oh, what if they want some cream puffs? Like, this uh, cream puff is a political bomb. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it is quite satisfying to see. I mean, it's not that satisfying because you know that the strings of this candidate are being pulled by another Front National luminary. But Shalon gets absolutely cucked by this guy, like by this new right wing movement. Like they completely just this kind of like sweaty YouTuber who just like yeah. looks like he stinks of fucking Galois. And Shalon like, is like so clean cut as well with his like little smirking visage, his Aryan hair. He reminds He's... me of Pete Campbell from Mad Men. Totally, a hundred percent. Just like, fa- the facially. most the toadiest of toadies. Pathetic. And that's a really interesting role if you're, like, the actor for that. Yeah, 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 What does it mean to play that? Because it's an incredible performance. Yeah. It's never going to be, like, a fucking glamorous, attractive one. No. Wait, who does play him, actually? I don't think Shalon's on the Wikipedia page, either. I'll go back, Baron Noir, IMDB, so we can shout this dude out. More like, I am D Baron. Sorry. (laughs) There we go. He is played by Patrick Millet. Millet? M- Mil, Milne, not Milne. Patrick M I L L E. Me. Mil, Mil, me, me. That means like Patrick Million. One oh, thousand, actually. But like... <laughs> He's so good. What were you so... going to say about Pablo Iglesias? 
when they go off to like hang out with Podemos. Isn't the other thing as well that Reichwart doesn't speak French? Uh, sorry, doesn't speak, doesn't speak uh, Spanish. Spanish. Yeah. And Vidal has to like translate for him. Yeah, so Vidal is just like ruling the roost. Yeah, it's complete. Incredible. It's just such a power move. Like It's just like banter left, right and centre, you know. Just and also his... Philippe has to go out and join him a few days later because he hasn't got his ankle bracelet off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. The second series, the dynamic is that Reichwart has got to work around being a convicted felon. Yeah, and the fact that his ankle bracelet's always going off at like four in the morning. Oh yeah, yeah. Fact, which I guess you'd imagine would happen in Britain as well. The fact it just doesn't just work. Like, yeah, efficient. It's just shit. Like, yeah, it's always going down. But anyway, Pablo. Big yeah, the Podemos relation is really interesting because I think there's the explicit thing, just the incredible bit. Well, I think they're formulating some sort of like Euro left thing and have to go to Spain. Vidal Melanchon goes early and already has these contacts with Podemos people. And speaks fluent Spanish, yeah, yeah, which yeah. helps a lot. I guess probably with the Socialist Party, there's this like block between them and Podemos. In yeah, the, yeah, yeah. You know how these old Social Democratic parties are so wedded to like this vision of the Socialist International and all that, where, you know, we're sister parties and crap like yeah, that. Yeah, no, totally. And that ends up being in bed with some deep reactionaries. Yeah. So I think there's that as a problem. And then just the fact he doesn't speak Spanish and he's pissed off about having to just cycle around loads and get lost. Up mountains and stuff. <laughs> but then I think there's, like, the other dynamic. There's that incredible tweet where... Pablo Iglesias reveals that Pedro Sanchez, his coalition partner, recommended he should watch The Baron. And like <laughs> Iglesias' tweet, my phone's just died, so I can't get it up. But like, as far as I remember, it's like, I've just finished watching The Baron Noir. I would like to watch it as a political course with students <laughs> and those dimensions. And I think it's like the ambiguity of Podemos' position of what are Podemos doing? Are they structuring stuff on this populist antagonism between people and elites? or left-right antagonism. Are they Mercier, or are they the yeah. Baron? And the fact that like, they've obviously like got the ideas, but in a left-unity thing, they're going to be subordinate to Sanchez. And obviously it's like fucking Sanchez who's recommended that Iglesias watches the Baron. Which, like, yeah, is like a bit of a power move, to be honest. No, absolutely. Well. I mean, <laughs> fuck, I was just remembering... There's an absolutely weird NLR text where Perry Anderson and Iglesias briefly talk about fucking Game of Thrones. I think there'd be like a really interesting study of Pablo Iglesias and his fucking taste in... Culture is ordinary, mate. Yeah, let's try and interview Pablo. I found that Pablo Iglesias has actually done two tweets about Baron Noir. Okay, fuck. Per Google Translate reads, For the moments of disconnection or of reflections to interpret the politics of all times and this one... Here are two disturbing recommendations. Baron Noir and M, the son of the century. I, d- I don't know what that M thing is. Uh, presumably not the Fritz Lang film. Should we uh, watch that next? Like something more up to date. Two disturbing but... recommendations. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I guess Baron Noir does show the seedy underbelly of politics. But the other tweet, I think this was the one that Tom sent me on yeah, yeah. the since suspended account finished baron noir pablo says these are not times perhaps to talk about series they are totally the times to talk about series pablo we're all stuck inside watching them but this (laughs) is a masterpiece but i would love to work with political students thanks for the recommendation at pedro sanchez the prime minister yeah yeah the big guy oh there you go I really like the idea that the Spanish coalition is fucking cemented through sharing French TV recommendations. It's beautiful. They've all got to learn to get on as well, just like we have. Did they watch subs or dubs? Was the Baron in like some kind of full on, you know what, like Spanish TV series are like, yeah, with yeah. a really macho character? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be incredible. Let's try and get an interview with yeah. Pablo on like Pablo, are you, are you a subs man or a dubs yeah. man? <laughs> So, I mean, before we end, I want to ask you about the new socialist Bad New Times issue. But first of all, have either of you got any concluding thoughts on Baron Noir? The Baron's back, baby? 
<laughs> well, I hope so, Josie. What you, you said there oh, may yeah. be a possibility of so, a fourth series. While I was watching it, I looked up to see if there was going to be a fourth series because I was really feeling like three weren't going to be enough. Mm. But because it was while I was watching it, I was quite careful about what I read because I didn't want to ruin it for myself. And I saw quite a few things from the director and the actor being like, there won't be another series. But then... I saw some things after it ended where they were saying actually maybe there will be because the public reception's been so good. I so that I think they're kind of like it's one of those things of if there's something to say they'll do it. Yeah, they've waited two years between series, so yeah. a lot could happen in that time, and then they might be inspired to comment on some other events like they have on say the dissolution of the Socialist Party. Oh, like the Baron being the president during a pandemic or some shit. I'm dreading some of the pandemic-related entertainment, to be honest. No, completely. All the the same. I bet Charlie (laughs) Brooke is writing some Black Mirror episodes as we speak. Some absolutely sick, make-you-think fucking episodes of Black Mirror. So, Tom, have you got any concluding thoughts? I guess like my main concluding thought is just like the pleasures of a Machiavellian figure who's basically on our side. Yeah, seems yeah, like the thing to really weird. draw out of it, which yeah. is the distinction Gramsci draws between the effective politician and... I mean, Gramsci says the diplomat or political scientist. I think in our world it's the distinction between the effective politician and the poll prof. <laughs> uh, and I think like that seems like the real lesson. Vidal's a poll prof, isn't he? Vidal's a poll prof. Amelie's a poll prof. Pretty much everyone is a poll prof except the Baron. I think Kallenberg isn't, but Kallenberg is too caught up with just trying to be nice and please everybody. Yeah, I think. Yeah, like, fundamentally a melt, I think. Yeah, exactly, but with the best of intentions. Yeah, yeah. So the poll prof operates within effective political reality. What can you judge in this current situation? Obviously, the whole point of the weirdness, the effective capacity of like the Baron as an effective politician is he can actually like change that reality. Yeah. Like he wants to engage in that and I think like that distinction seems really key. Like I think it's... what's really interesting is when he goes up against Mercier, who poses as like the kind of anti Yeah. But in many ways, because he has the most technocratic and bureaucratic yeah. proposal of any of them, is like the Uber Polprof. Yeah. Rigbert just completely destroys him. Yeah. Like he just dismantles him. Like And I think this is the thing, like a plausible like mm. left right polarity, which is obviously the whole part of Rick Flatt's project is mm. the thing that reveals that like the populist project on those terms and the technocratic project are basically the same yeah I think like you're saying sortition's like the ultimate technocratic measure it's not like a rupture yeah it's a technocratic measure yeah it's ridiculous it, it literally relies on procedure above anything else like whereas Rick Flatt's an effective politician mm. of the left Sortition and stuff is like an empty formalism. Rick that responds to circumstances, and those responses aren't always within the bounds of the law and aren't always within the bounds of what I call ethics, but they do something. But that's because the effective politician changes the law and reality anyway, which is going to involve risks and things. Mm. Changes reality. I like that. Ending up in prison in a massive corruption scandal because of shaking down property development, but also because of taking a bullet for other more powerful people basically yeah and also shaking down property developers is good because property developers are scum no yeah shake them down folks yeah shake them down like the eagles shook down steely dan (laughs) gave the big noogie (laughs) i want to say watch baron noir it's terrific tom and josie just gave you a good bit of analysis of it there and i won't add to that any further myself i think it's an excellent show and i would highly recommend it before we go new socialist the on as i said earlier online publication of record it's kind of relaunching isn't it it's got a new sort of format that is coming out and this is going to be the first issue of this new still online format of a new socialist so this is going to be called Bad New Times, and could one or both of you just briefly tell people what that's going to be all about? I guess New Socialist, until the election, was obviously defined in terms of being like the maximum critical point within Labour, but like the maximum left possibility of that. That's fair enough when Corbyn's leader and McDonald's the Shadow Chancellor. That's obviously gone now. We lost. We lost badly, we lost the leadership contest. And I think some Bad New Times is thinking about how I think a lot of the left have not grasped how badly we lost. So have 
a sense of optimistic and sentimental positions about the Labour Party. We lost, we were fucking trounced. And I think that's a lot of the terrain constituted by that, is that sort of defeat, but also a relation to the Labour Party, but also a disentanglement from the Labour Party means there's all sorts of experimental possibilities. There's not going to be an election for four and a half years. The left are not going to be in power in the Labour Party. They're not. Like, yeah, we have I mean, to acknowledge... we, we lost in country and party, and yeah, yeah. it wouldn't make sense so much for people on the radical left to orient their politics so much around the Labour Party no. anymore. Like... Because we've seen the direction of travel in the party. And I'm just not reassured that the current leadership's overtures to finance capital, say, are the same as John McDonald's tea offensive. I think he was much more serious about no, they're structurally the challenge diff- to neoliberalism. They're structurally different and they come from a different place. And yeah, I've got thoughts about this as well. But I think the big thing I think for me is I'm still in the Labour Party. I haven't lost instance of sentimental attachment to the Labour Party that some people don't have, actually. But I think like the sort of stay and fight line is wrong. And I think that's a big thing for it. Yeah. Like we lost, we got fucking trounced. We're mm. not fighting. But also, we might. We're not fighting within the Labour Party. Yeah, yeah. That no. doesn't mean we're not fighting elsewhere. Yeah, there might be a long-term project that goes through the Labour Party. I suspect there'll probably have to be, but that's a long-term project. We've lost the city overtures and certain people with tiny heads, like, are worth <laughs> noting here that there's a structural difference. The McDonald thing is there was an outside chance of forming a left government. One wants to make an alliance with fractions of capital so they don't disrupt that government. But that presumes like you're softening an antagonism. Mm. Whereas the McFadden Starmer line is will be your creatures. It's completely What antagonism? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's no <laughs> Whereas I think McDonald's line is there won't be a chaotic Brexit and there'll be massive regional investment. So certain fractions of capital could come on board Mm. and that's a really different project should we talk a little bit about the format of the edition yeah so that's the new kind of political these are the bad new times in which we're living but in terms of the content the hashtag content that new socialist will be presenting what kind of stuff can we expect so what have we got in the edition? I think like the other side of Bad New Times is also new possibilities. So we've got this incredible piece by Toby Manning that I think we were talking about before about Prince and acid communism. Slight swerves towards thinking through those sorts of cultural and utopian possibilities are like a thing that like the yeah. present moment allows. Mm. Um, Incredibly, so much more cultural content, I would say. Yeah, and I think that's a big mm. thing. And we've um, got, so we've got, your, we've got your Dylan piece as well, obviously with that. We've got Trevor Bastard's, new column of course can't wait which is like i think also a kind of john harris explores the tbeu kind of ah nice but that's also i think that communism did manage this slightly odd interaction of some quite serious economic stuff and we have mary robertson's really good piece Mm. on future economic direction of communism that kind of quite serious economic stuff with emergent quite odd avant-garde cultural figures like comrade bastard essentially yeah (laughs) so we've got those and and that's really good and i think it's great by the way not that nothing funny has ever been published in new socialist but bringing in someone like trevor bastard who can bring something a little uh little off the wall you might say some kind of like levity i think it's like that's going to be excellent definitely definitely but then we also have two really good pieces actually like one piece on contradictions around finance and meeting of needs within an eu project and those kind of corona contradictions mm. so we've got some the, like, the same old serious content yeah yeah the fans love <laughs> and i think that's i think it's really important not to break from that actually yeah um, yeah but i mean i think what's really important is actually i mean what was important is certainly for me and i think for some of the other editors when we were trying to conceptualize this relaunch was how do we reflect both sides the fact that the Corbyn moment coalesced a bunch of like incredibly serious radical left-wing thought around economics, around abolition, around culture and all kinds of things. But also the fact that it also just created a lot of fucking silliness. And that's really mm. important too. Definitely. That kind of joy in world making. These are the things that I think it would be really sad if we lost. And it would be really sure. bad if they got disarticulated from like a broader kind of project of socialist transformation. The world that we want to see, I guess, is a world where real politic and Trevor Bastard are major cultural figures. <laughs> well, yeah. I'd, I'd certainly like that. 
that's kind of what we're trying to build i guess in a way we're trying to sort of prefigure that world and that's why it's great you know the new socialist is here i keep saying the new socialist but i meant to say that it is great that new socialist is bringing all these people and forces and ideas together still as a little part of what was the Corbyn project it's still going and still doing that which is the best thing about the Corbyn project the way that it enabled people on the left to find each other and join forces what differentiates this new issue of new socialist from how the website has been in the past we're kind of dividing things into so we're working on a kind of edition format so we'll have a lot of new content drops every couple of months and then some ongoing stuff that runs alongside that so i guess i've been working on the website for a couple of weeks now the way it's going to look in terms of like interacting with it is going to be a lot more almost kind of like magazine-y mm. so there'll be a cover sort of contents various kind of interwoven connected articles bits of content god i hate saying that <laughs> fucking <blech. Um, laughs> I'm a web professional. Um, but <laughs> and then we'll also have like ongoing stuff, but it will be just a bit less spoiling and fragmented and a bit more tight and cohered, I guess. So yeah, hopefully it'll be good. I hope people check it out. I hope people let us know if it is or isn't good as well so we can fix it. <laughs> I'm sure they will. <laughs> like, I'm certain. Mm. <laughs> so within the next week or two, I would say, it'll be dropping depending on when we get some pieces through. Yeah, and it's slightly delayed by me having to do a whole set of trade union procedures and work <laughs> out ways to draw on the baron to fuck up bosses. Love to live in a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to point out before we go, one little baron noir fact is that the director of, I think, the first and part of the second series, Ziad Dwuri. Uh, is a Lebanese cinematographer, film director and writer who is in fact best known as a collaborator of Quentin Tarantino, the camera assistant for Jackie Brown from Dust Till Dawn, Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs. Oh, good on him. This guy brought the specific set of skills he'd acquired working on Tarantino stuff. Uh, to, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, he's been a director primarily for many years since working on I was going to say, yeah, there stuff. is a, an awful lot of crossover between Tarantino and the lingering shots of milk. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you remember when, like, Amelie single-handedly cuts that terrorist ear off? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, this is a high point in the whole thing. <laughs> also, can we just get a one. shout out for the incredibly tasteful French sex scenes where, <laughs> oh, yeah. like, obviously they, for whatever time they were on TV, they just weren't allowed to show any boobs. So it was all just yeah. like really tastefully framed. I think it's worth saying Philippe is a, a consummate shagger. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this does, is one of the, fuck. like, you talk about how he's the man of the people, but he's got several beautiful houses and yeah. several beautiful young wives. Well, when you've been a politician for a certain amount of time and you are definitely part of a bourgeoisie. Yeah, and as Tom said, a consummate shagger. <laughs> Hell yeah, the Baron fucks. Let's say goodbye then. So everyone, you've been listening to Real Politics. Go and watch Baron Noir and check out New Socialists. Subscribe. Check out this new edition and the work of our friends Tom Gann and Josie Sparrow. Thank you Guys, for listening. Guys, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Thanks Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Well, we're doing mighty fine, I do suppose. In our streak of lightning cars and fancy clothes. But just so we're reminded of the ones who are held back. Up front there ought to be a man in black. I wear it for the sick and lonely old. For the reckless ones whose bad trip left them cold I wear the black in mourning for the lives that could have been Each week we lose a hundred fine young men And I wear it for the thousands who have died Believing that the Lord was on their side I wear it for another hundred thousand who have died Believing that we all were on their side Well, there's things that never will be right, I know And things need changing everywhere you go 
But till we start to make a move To make a few things right You'll never see me wear a suit of white Oh, I'd love to wear a rainbow every day And tell the world that everything's okay But I'll try to carry off a little darkness on my back Till things are brighter, I'm the man in black People, it's crowdsourcing.